Good evening and welcome to Matters of Life. I'm your host, John Lucier. I'd just like to welcome you all that stand for righteousness and do justice. Here, as the Lord has led you. Thank you for joining us. You know, I was having a... Recently, I had a conversation with an individual, uh, a brother in Christ, and I was asked why this this show, this podcast, has kind of deviated a little bit from an, its initial, I'll say, reporting of the news <laughs> and, and and the current events. And, and I said, well, there's enough people out there who are just reporting the what's happening or reporting the news. I was like, but we're not, so we can repeat those things and we can repeat them until Christ returns. But wouldn't we rather find the solutions receive the solutions from the Lord, receive his perspective, guidance, direction through Holy Spirit on what we're supposed to do, or would we rather just focus on the things that are happening all around us? I am of the mindset and leading of the Lord to focus on what we can do to prepare, do the things now that the Lord is leading us to do to change the outcome. So that's what we're going to do here today. And uh, so I was seeking the Lord on, yes, we know there's a lot of things happening, whether it's in the home and family and government and business and, and education system and arts and media. And there is a lot of horrendous things that have happened and are happening. We're not ignoring those things, right? And But as I was seeking the Lord on what do we do he brought me back to Malachi, and it's it's really interesting because I know when we consider Malachi, there's two main scriptures that come up. One talking about robbing the Lord and tithes and offerings, and it seems to be something or a verse that that many preachers and ministers do use right before they ask people to give. And then the second part is looking at Malachi chapter 4 where it says, I'm going to send Elijah before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. <clears throat> and he's going to restore the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. So that's typically what many know of Malachi. But the Lord brought me to Malachi chapter 3. <clears throat> Excuse me. And in there, I want to read the first 12 verses and that's going to be kind of a baseline to start our discussion here this evening. So if you're ready, it's Malachi chapter 3, the first 12 verses. It says, Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, so they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. And I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against those who swear falsely and those who oppress the wage earner and his wages, the widow and the orphan and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me. Excuse me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statues and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And he continues and says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my storehouse, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, 
if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. <clears throat> Excuse me. So as I was reading this, uh, as the Lord led me to this, there were a couple of things that jumped out, particularly that, that last half from verses 8 to 12. Because when we look at that, every nation, but I mean, we could just focus on the United States, wants to be a blessed land, have an abundance of grain and fruit and, and the things that many would consider it to be wealthy and an abundance of these things <clears throat> that would cause us to be viewed as rich and allow us additional op options and opportunities, <clears throat> both in our lives and the lives of our children and the future generations, our children's children, and so forth. But then there's a right before that section. He says, the Lord says that, hey, there's an, a disconnect and an issue, and I want to come and I want to do these things. I want to come near to you in judgment and remove all these things that are in opposition to the Lord from us. But the thing is that they are so intertwined with, well, as he's saying, the Lord's people. So he's telling them to return to him so that he can do what he had purposed to do from the beginning. But we have to purify us, ourselves, before him. But then he gives the instructions on how we go about that. <clears throat> you know, we were saying at the beginning of this podcast about the coming of Elijah, right? And that's, that's in chapter 4. And he actually says in verses 4 and 5, Remember the law of Moses, my servant. Even the statues and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. And then in verse 5, it says, Behold, I'm coming, I'm going to send you, excuse me, Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, so I will not come and smite the land with a curse. But here in chapter 3, he's saying, I'm going to send my messenger. He'll clear the way before me. And then it says, The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And it says about the Lord, he is the messenger of the covenant. And as we look and read, and if anyone has, has you know, studied the, the Bible and studied church, sat in, in a congregation for any length of time, what's been taught on this is that it is John the Baptist as the messenger who cleared the way before the Lord and Jesus coming, the messenger of the covenant. But here he's saying, in Malachi, verse 3, what he's going to do. And even the messenger that he sends is said of John the Baptist that he is Elijah, as in he came in the same spirit of Elijah. But again, in chapter 4, it says, remember the laws of Moses and even the statutes. Well, what and how would Elijah teach the people to restore them? And the only thing that came to mind in this, what the Lord was leading me for, was messenger of the covenant. So we have to understand, truly understand covenant from the Lord's perspective. And again, let's make the connection point. In Malachi chapter 4, the law of Moses is where the Lord gave Moses and explain the covenant to him. And there are multiple covenants that we can have. There's no doubt someone is saying, well, which covenant? There's, there's at least two that everyone knows about. Oh, the Abrahamic covenant, or the covenant made that the Lord made with Abraham. And then there's also the Davidic covenant, or the covenant that the Lord made with King David. But then there's, at a minimum, two more. If we go to Malachi chapter 2, he talks about the covenant he made with Levi. 
That's in chapter 2, verse 4. Then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him as an object of reverence. So he revered me and stood in awe of my name, it says. And then it continues, true instruction was in his mouth and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many back from iniquity. So in, in Malachi, the Lord is addressing a lot of sin, but it's for us to understand. So I know many are saying even with those, well, two out of the three covenants, but there's, there's a fourth because it also says that Jesus was the mediator of a new covenant. So there's at least four covenants that I think we, we need to understand here so we can understand covenant truly. Because that's how ultimately what's found in the covenant and entering into covenant with the Lord, following his covenant in full, is how we as a nation become blessed. So, Let's examine those things. And, and no doubt, in examining it, many are going to say, well, we already know about the covenant. With Abraham, he was promised that he would be the father of many nations and that the Lord had given him the land. And with David, it was said about him that, well, his covenant, he'll forever have an heir to sit on the throne. And yes, those things were part of the covenant. But I want to encourage you and even challenge you today to see covenant by the Lord's eyes and with the Lord's perspective. Because what we have done or what has happened in teaching about covenant is we have divided up covenant and these covenants and picked them apart and said all the ways in which they're different but know that the Lord said, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets or the covenant. He said he came to fulfill. Jesus is our pattern and example. So he showed us how to carry out the covenant. How it was originally designed, purposed, and planned for us. To give us, a, a if you will, a sign. It is also the plumb line with which we will be measured by to see if we line up or are in alignment with the Lord and what he is doing in our lives. So we're looking for some things that bring them all together. Amen. So in this, I want to us oh, to first turn to Genesis chapter 15. We're going to look at God's covenant with Abraham. And he says, this is starting in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward will be very great. Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me, since I am childless, and my heir and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, and he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look outward toward the excuse me, now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of Chaldea, of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to possess it. So that's part of the covenant. Yes, we see there, the Lord mentions an heir, Right? He mentions that he's going to have his own heir. He's going to have be the father of many children. So many that 
there would be more numerous than the stars in the sky, and that he had given him land. Right? But it doesn't end there. Actually, he even continues it, talking in greater detail further on in the chapter where he says that uh, in verse 18, that's uh, Genesis 15, verse 18, on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river Euphrates. And he talks about all these other people that essentially at the time, they were living in the land. But there's a couple key things I want us to notice here. One, while the Lord stated he would give him essentially the desires of his heart, he would give him a child and children and clearly lots of land. The Lord said to him, I am a shield, and your reward will be very great. Abraham's response in verse 2 was, O Lord God. There is an element and aspect of relationship, and that is the basis for the covenant. The Lord was his God. He was the Lord's servant. He entrusted everything, everything that he had to the Lord. He believed the Lord for what he said, and that's why it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So if we continued in chapter 17, still looking at the Abrahamic, or the covenant made with Abraham, excuse me. Let's look at verses, well, we'll read the first eight verses. So now when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will establish my covenant between me and you. I will multiply you exceedingly. Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations." I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you. Throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and your descendants after you. I will give to you and your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. And then he further says to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant. You and your descendants after you throughout all the generations. And then goes into the sign of the covenant, which was circumcision. But did everybody understand what happened there? what the covenant actually was. So first, when the Lord appears, he says to Abraham, he announces who he is. He's the Lord God Almighty. And he instructs him to walk before him and to be blameless. And he will establish that covenant with him. Abraham's response, oh, sorry, he'll establish that covenant. And as a result of that covenant, this is in verse two, he would multiply him exceedingly Abram's, or before he, the Lord changed his name to Abraham, and verse 3 says, He fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, Behold, or me, my, or for, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you. So it was an acknowledgement. It was an entering into the covenant. Why? Why do you ask? Which is a great question. And what does he say? I'll establish my covenant, this is down in verse 7, between me and you and your descendants after you. And if we skip down just a little more, right, as an everlasting covenant, it says, to be God to you and your descendants. And then it ends in verse 8, and he says, 
for everlasting possession, or he gave them this, and I will be their God, he says. It's very interesting. It is not about the land. It is not about the blessings and the benefits. It is about the relationship. That covenant is stated plainly. I will be your God and you will be my people. We see that acted out here by Abraham, Abram, and then under the covenant, Abraham, as soon as he did that, as soon as he submitted himself fully to the Lord, not that he hadn't already done that. He had already, the Lord, he trusted the Lord who brought him out of these places, out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and had gone with him and sojourned. He trusted the Lord, it was accounted to him as righteousness, and because of that, because God was his God and he could direct him, he could send him where he would go. Because he trusted him. God was his God and he was his servant. And we see that acted out there in verse 3. And the Lord acknowledges it there in verse 7. His covenant was that he would be God to him and his descendants after them. He would be their God. So they would be his servants. That is the covenant. There are the blessings and the benefits of the covenant. But that's the Abrahamic covenant, right? So let's understand that. Okay? Now, let's take let's examine the Davidic covenant. And you can find that in 2 Samuel verses it really begins in verse 8 through 17. So we'll read that. But then we're also going to read David's prayer, his response. Just like we looked at Abraham and the words spoken and his response. So it says this, beginning in 2 Samuel 7, verse 8. It says, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, speaking to Nathan the prophet, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep to be a ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name, like the names of great men who are on the earth. I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them and they will live in their own place and not be disturbed again. Nor will the wicked afflict them as more, any more as formerly, even from the day that I recommended judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies." The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendants after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him. As I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever, and your throne shall be established forever, in accordance with all the words and all the vision. So Nathan spoke to David. So there's a, there's a, a few key things. Ready? The Lord is already referring to Israel as his people, multiple times in this word of the Lord to Nathan that he then brought to David, the king. Right? My people Israel. And so he's already talking about covenant. As a result of that covenant, he's giving peace and he's establishing leaders in succession and there will forever be a king, one of his heirs on the throne. Right, but we know that, yes? But it's what he says here. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. Which goes back to what we were just talking with Abraham about I will be your God and you will be my people. Right, but then let's look at David's response. Let's read it. And also, there's also verse 10. Yes, he says, 
even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel. I'll give you rest, right? So again, the Lord's commanding because he's our God and we're his people. But again, now let's get to, to David's prayer. David's response is this. Then David the king went in and sat before Saul, and he said, Who am I, O Lord, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was insignificant in your eyes, O Lord God, for you have spoken also of the house of your servant concerning the distant future. And this is the custom of man, O Lord God. Again, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. For the sake of your word and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness to let your servant know. For this reason, you are great, O Lord God, and there is none like you, and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And what what one nation on earth is like your people Israel, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, and to make a name for himself, and to do a great thing for you and awesome things for your land before your people, whom you have redeemed for yourself from Egypt from nations and their gods. For you have established yourself, your people, Israel, as your own people forever. And you, O Lord, have become their God. Now therefore, O Lord God, the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and his house, confirm it forever. And do as you have spoken, that your, that your name may be magnified forever by saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And may the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made a revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are truth, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing, may the house of your servants be blessed forever. Numerous times within this section of scripture, David acknowledges who the Lord is. He's God. He also acknowledges They're his, as in the Lord's people, that the Lord established those people for himself. I mean, we could just look at verse 20. He says, again, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant. So again, he's also your servant, O Lord God. He's saying that, hey, you're my God, or I'm your servant, and you're my God. And he says this repeatedly throughout this prayer. Again, in verse 24, he acknowledges that he says, for you have established for yourself, your people, Israel, as your own people forever. And you, O Lord, have become their God. You're our God and we're your people. And he says something very similar in verse 26, it says that your name may be magnified forever by saying, the Lord God of his is hosts, oh, excuse me, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And may the house of your servant David be established before you. Again, he's not only making a binding for himself, but for the nation. Because he is their leader. He is the one the Lord has chosen and appointed, just like with Moses and just like with Abraham, as the patriarch. That God was God. God was his God. And that was the covenant. I will be God to you and your descendants after you. That this was a people set aside in covenant to the Lord. That God was their God and they were his people. Amen. So so we see the similarities there. It's exactly like, like Abraham was saying. That God was his God. But there's there's another covenant, right? And we were talking about the lineage of the priesthood of Levi, the covenant made with Levi. So Deuteronomy says it. It's, it's in multiple places. We probably won't go to all of them. But Deuteronomy 10, verse 9. 
Actually, uh, we're probably going to begin in verse 8. It says, At the time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to serve him, and to bless in his name until this day. Therefore, Levi does not have a portion or inheritance, just as the Lord your God spoke to him. So, we have to understand a couple of things. One, this is Deuteronomy, but it's an understanding of why Levi doesn't have a portion or inheritance. It says very plainly, the Lord is his portion. All right? And you can find that in, in Numbers 18, 20 and 24 says this. It says, and the Lord said to Aaron, you will have no inheritance in their land nor will you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the Israelites. And then in in verse 24, he says, For I have given to the Levites as their inheritance the tithe that the Israelites present to the Lord as a contribution. That is what I told them, why I told them, excuse me, that they would not receive an inheritance among the Israelites. And there are other places in Deuteronomy, where he says the same thing, or it's very similar things, that they had no portion because the Lord was their portion. But wait, isn't that exactly what he said to Abraham? It's identical. Genesis 15, if you can give me a second to get back there, since I lost my, my place, I apologize. <clears throat> And of course, I had to use a newer Bible, so the pages are sticking together, or we've not yet separated all of them yet. But he says to the Lord, do not fear Abraham, I am a shield to you, and your reward will be very great. And then begins to discuss these benefits and these blessings of heirship, having descendants, and land. Now, I say this because if we continue again, looking at the Abrahamic covenant, he keeps reminding him about the land. And that's one of the things that we and many have focused on in the covenant made with Abraham is the land that he was given. But the land only came as a result of, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. It was because of the covenant made, I'll be your God, you'll be my people, that he received the land. So I I need us to understand this. Uh, We all need to understand. There are blessings and benefits of being in covenant with the Lord. They're immense. But being in covenant with the Lord requires our obedience it's not a it's not to shift our focus from the lord onto the blessings and benefits that he gives us right all the way back in malachi towards the end of the section we started with he was saying hey i'll rebuke the devourer for you so that these things don't happen you don't lose the fruits of the ground and the the vine in the field and and you will be a delight. All the nations will call you blessed. And that what it, what we're looking at with Abraham, all the nations are calling him blessed. But his focus remained on the Lord only. Not on all the stu- the stuff he was given, not on the wealth, not on the land, not on any of those things. The Lord was his portion. He was a sojourner in the land looking for a heavenly kingdom, the Bible describes him. So it demonstrates his focus. It further proves his focus was only on the Lord, not just on land, not just on the blessings that he received. He focused on the Lord. And that was demonstrated through two things, his faith, which is said 
that he believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness, but he focused on the Lord because of his love for the Lord. It's love and faith working together. And I know Paul describes it, faith, hope, and love, but he, because of his love for the Lord, <coughs> his, he trusted the Lord. That was where his, his faith arose from. So he put his hope in the Lord. It's that working together demonstrates our obedience. And, and I know that's, that's kind of deep, right? But also as we look at that, just the same thing is said to the Levites. There, there's all these this land and all these other things, but the Levites, their portion was not the land. It was not all these other things, natural things that we like, human nature likes to put our eyes on and focus on. It was only on the Lord and doing his service. If he's our God and we're his people, then he is free to command us in every area and aspect of our life to go do what he does and say what he says to say, how he says to say it, when he says to say it. That is how it demonstrates how we're led by his Holy Spirit. And it demonstrates that he truly is our God. That's what it looks like to be in covenant with the Lord. And if we go back, right, that's, again, that was the the Levite's portion was the Lord. He was their portion. He was their inheritance. If we recall, David had the same love for the Lord. He had the same faith for the Lord. That's where he put his hope in, was the Lord. And if we recall correctly that David, even when he was a child, wore a linen ephod, signifying his desire to be like the priests. For, it further demonstrates that desire that regardless of all the things that were that the Lord blessed him with and were given to him, to include his kingship, the only thing that mattered to him was the Lord. That's why there was such great success and that the Lord gave him peace all around. And this is exactly what Moses taught because he received from the Lord. And, and it's in a couple different places because he taught it to two different generations because one refused to enter into that covenant with the Lord and the second one did and they actually went into the land. The first one is in Leviticus 26. And if anyone's familiar with that, not or unfamiliar, is divided into two sections. The first is the blessings of obedience. That's the first 13 verses of that chapter. And we're going to read them because there is there are some key parts that we should understand if we truly claim that we want to be a nation that's blessed, that all the nations of the earth can see that we are blessed. So it says this, it says, Leviticus 26, verse 1, You shall not make for yourself idols, nor shall you set up for yourselves an image or a sacred pillar, nor shall you place a figured stone in your land to bow down to it. For I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments so as to carry them out, then I shall give you rains in their season, so that the land will yield its produce and the trees of the field will bear their fruit. Indeed, your threshing will last you until grape gathering, and grape gathering will last until sowing time. You will thus eat your food to the full and live securely in your land. I shall also grant peace in the land so that you may lie down with no one making you tremble. I shall also eliminate harmful beasts from the land, and no sword will bypass will pass through your land. But you will chase your enemies, and they will fall before you with the sword. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall before you by the sword. So I will turn toward you and make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will confirm my covenant with you. You will eat the old supply and clear out the old because of the new. Moreover, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul will not reject you. I will also walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. 
people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt so that you would not be their slaves. And I broke the bars of your yoke and made you walk upright. Did you see that? This is the blessings and benefits of obedience. All these things come because of, well, verse 12. Because I will walk among you and I will be your God. And you shall be my people. And if you, we really look at that, everything that's mentioned is, in, is mentioned in greater detail than what was mentioned in Malachi chapter 3. But the covenant is also listed there. Now let's go to Deuteronomy 28. And we see the same thing. Now, the, uh, first, before we, we move there, the second half of that chapter is the consequences of disobedience. And they are harsh. It begins in verse 14 and ends in verse 46. Why? Because sin is complicated. Choosing to not follow the Lord, to not remain in covenant with the Lord, is extremely complicated complicated and we cannot determine what the outcome will be or look like there's no way to plan for it but again let's go back to the blessings of obedience listed and this time it's 14 verses in deuteronomy 28 and deuteronomy is the second giving of the law this is given to a new generation so that they can follow in the statutes the commands and be in covenant with the Lord their God. It says this, Now it shall be if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground and the offspring of your beasts, the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord shall cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They will come out against you one way and they will flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and in all that you put your hand to, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. The Lord will establish you. Excuse me. <clears throat> the Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, as he swore to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. So all the people of the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they will be afraid of you. The Lord will make you abound in prosperity, and the offspring of your body, and the offspring of your beast, and the produce of your ground, in the land which the Lord your God, which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open you for his good storehouses, the heavens, to give rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hand. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you only will be above, and you will not be underneath if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I charge you today, to observe them carefully, and do not turn aside from any of the words which I command you today, to the right or to the left, to go after other gods, to serve them. Again, this is the, the blessings of obedience. The blessings of being in covenant with the Lord your God. Which again, the covenant is mentioned in verse 9. The Lord will establish you as a holy people unto himself. As he swore to you. As he covenanted with you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. But it doesn't just end there. Right? As I said, this covenant is the plumb line 
throughout the entirety of Scripture. He talks often about confirming his covenant with us, right? So let's go on a little uh, detour here. And by detour, we're going to we're going to go on a little journey through the scripture. Ezekiel 36, verses 26 through 28 says this, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and bring it about that you walk in my statutes and are careful and follow my ordinances. And you will live in a land that I gave to your forefathers, so you will be my people, and I will be your God. How about, well, Hebrews 8.10. And, and this is key because it goes into what we said was a fourth covenant. The new covenant with Christ. This is where he begins talking about it. And it says, this in Hebrews 8.10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. 2 Corinthians 6.16 says this. Or what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is what the Lord has been saying the entirety of the time. This is his covenant, his plan, his purpose. This is the plumb line that extends from the beginning of the Bible to the end. I know you're, you're probably saying, well, well, we haven't gotten to the end. Yep, that's, that's very true. And we're going to get there, but let's just, we read in Hebrews about the covenant that he would establish. Right? But there is an interesting thing here, is in Hebrews 9, it talks about how Jesus is the mediator of a new, of a better covenant, Right? That's in Hebrews 9, 15. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. But let, let's back up. It, it gives him a place. It says in verse 11, it says, When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater, more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, through whom the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. And for that reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. So since death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead, for it is never enforced while the one who made it lives. So do we understand what the new covenant was? The Lord did not abolish the law and the prophets. He fulfilled it by being the sacrificial lamb. He made the covenant. <clears throat> he made the covenant with Abraham. And he is the sacrificial lamb, which is why we enter into it for our eternity, for salvation. He's our God and we're his people. He filled the role. He, that's why he is the mediator of a new and better covenant. And there's, there's actually much more to, to go into. But let's go to, we talked about the, this is the plumb line all the way through to the end, right? 
In Revelation 21, it says this. Trying to find my place here. He says, oh, we'll, we'll back up here. Uh, the verse five, uh, beginning in Revelation 21, verse five says, he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without costs. He who overcomes will inherit these things and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Isn't that exactly what the Lord said to David? Concerning, he, yes, he was speaking about Solomon. But he said he would forever have an heir to sit on the throne. Speaking about the Lord. God was his God. And as we pointed out many times, he was his servant. So going back, we... We must understand this. If we truly as a nation want to be blessed and prosper, and we all say, if we truly want that, not just claim that we want that, then we have to get to a place where enough is enough and we are willing to fully enter into covenant with the Lord. You know, one of the questions in Malachi 3, in verse 7, it says this. So from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? But what did, in the covenant, the Lord was speaking to David, yes, about Solomon, but also about Jesus. He said to Solomon that he would build a house. And it says this in Second Chronicles, beginning in chapter 7, verse 11. It says, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's palace and successfully completed all that he had planned on doing in the house of the Lord and in his palace. It says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send my pestilence among my people. And then here's the verse that we should all be very familiar with. He says, and if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. So the Lord, in, in Malachi, the question is asked, how do we return to the Lord? And the Lord gave us the answer because of covenant, because of understanding covenant from the Lord's perspective, that he's our God and we're his people. How do we return? We must humble ourselves. He is our God and we must be his people. He is God all by himself. Let's rightly acknowledge him as God and let's let us choose to serve him and him, our God only, the true and living God. So we must humble ourselves. We must pray. Well, what are we praying for? As a repentance. That's what he says, right? He says that he would turn, if we would turn from our ways, then he would hear from heaven. He would forgive their sin. Well, repentance has to happen from us being prideful, which has limited us, not just the church, but us as a nation. 
from being blessed. So there has to be repentance and accountability for the things that we have done in opposition to him, not remaining in covenant with him. If we looked at covenant like a contract, we have not fulfilled our end of the bargain. How can we then demand that the Lord uphold his end? What legal claim or right would we have? We must sort out our end to the fullest, putting him in his rightful place, serving the one true and living God, being his servants, giving him say in every area and aspect of our lives, our nation, serving him fully. That's what we are praying about. And then we also it says, seek his face. The Lord tells us very plainly, you will, when you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. We are spirit, soul, and body. When we seek him with our entire being. And he tells us, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things are added to you will be added unto you, depending on your translation. Not seek the things to be added and then the Lord. That is putting it in reverse order. That is a breaking of covenant. But we must seek him and his face fully to do all that he, as our God, is commanding us to do. And we talk about, yes, oh, well, these things are written in the word. Absolutely. But it's about being just like David in relationship with him, just like Moses, just like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs, all the what's in the law and the prophets and in the New Testament with the disciples now or later to be apostles and all the other individuals that sought the Lord with their entire being, all these other heroes of faith that we find in books like, or in chapters like Hebrew 11, they sought the Lord with their entirety of their being. But in the grand scheme of history, or the history of the world, it's sad that there's not very many listed. When you consider all the people that have come through earth or this choosing ground, of will we serve the Lord or will we be in opposition to him? And if we do choose to come into and serve the Lord, how deep will our relationship with him be? It's sad that there are so few listed amongst even now, there's, over, there's estimated to be 8 billion, over 8 billion people on this planet. But there's so few listed. Those so few had great exploits and conquests, and they were used mightily by the Lord because that's what he directed them to do because he was their God and they were his people, his servant. So we have to seek him fully for who he is, to be obedient to, yes, all that he's written, but all that he's speaking to us. What Bible what scroll did Abraham or Isaac or Jacob have to follow the Lord, to learn about him? It was relationship. He spoke to them. He spoke to Moses. It wasn't until Moses' time that he began writing the law. And how did he receive it? The Lord instructed him. There was so much time spent on the mountain twice, 40 days and 40 nights where the Lord was teaching Moses. But that was the type of relationship that Moses wanted with the Lord. May not be said that Moses was the only one. And we know he wasn't because the Lord said, I'll raise up a prophet like you from the midst of the people, referring to Jesus. Jesus is our pattern example. He showed us how to live out the covenant. What the, what the Father intended from the beginning what he 
intended from the beginning. How we should live this out. How to make him our God and how we serve him as his people. But then it also says after the seeking their face and turning from their, uh, well, after seeking my face, it says to turn from their wicked ways. Again, denoting repentance. And not just praying about repentance, but then continuing like a dog goes out after and eats its own vomit. Not like that, but a complete turning and not going back and doing the same things. But a complete 180 from where we were initially headed in opposition and away from the Lord to and towards Him, fully seeking Him. Those are the choices we must make as a people. I'll say individually, you have to make that choice for yourself, same as I have to make that for myself. But those are the ones the Lord considers his people. The ones that will do his will. And his covenant is his plan, is his purpose, is his will. That's exactly what Jesus said. Who are my mother and my brothers? It's those that do the will of the Lord. Those who God is their God and they are his people. So may we truly understand what that is. The Lord already said, and we read this in Malachi, about all the things that he would do, that he would come swiftly. That he would uproot all these things. He'd be a swift witness against the sorcerers, the adulterers, those who swear falsely, those who oppress the wage earner and the wages, the widow, the orphan, those who turn aside from the alien and do not fear the Lord. Because he doesn't change. This is who he is. The covenant, the new covenant of the Lord is a demonstration of the old covenant. How to make him your God and how to live as his servant, and be his people. May we as a nation do that. May we begin today. If we truly want to see, if we truly state what we claim, that we want to see the change in this nation, I would ask, are we at the place where enough is enough? And and because enough is enough of the state of this nation and what's happening within it, that we turn to the Lord fully. I pray that's the case. And we will see. The Lord will definitely help his people. I hope that is more than just a a small remnant that remains. But I want to thank you all for joining us tonight. And I trust the Lord that that we all learned something, that we have now been given a solution from the Lord and can view it from his perspective on what we need to do, next steps and continued steps to maintain that relationship with him so we can see the change, not just for ourselves and our generation, but for our children and our children's children, the future generations, until the Lord returns. So I'd like to thank you all for joining us this evening, or joining me this evening. Although I'm never alone, I'm always with the Lord. (laughs) He said he would never leave us or forsake us. So thank you for joining us. Love having you. God bless you. and Have a wonderful evening.